The Blog Hog Podcast is not meant to make light of those with an actual serious addiction. If you have an actual serious addiction, the Blogaholics Podcast should not be used as a replacement for treatment. If you are not in a treatment program for substance abuse, and you are somehow still offended, then fuck you too. Sincerely, your host. Take a trip with us to New Park. Just promise not to drink the goo. If you get sucked into the matrix, matrix, we will send a phone for you. Do you believe in fate? But every movie has a plot hole, and every hole gets filled somehow whiskey, wine, or blue milk. Just don't cut me off right now. Just like uh, your opinion, man. Okay, hey everybody, uh, welcome to a very special issue of uh, I, I shouldn't say issue, should I? I should say episode episode of Plotaholics podcast. Um, Fingers crossed. So uh, I'm Shane Wilson, and that's Brian Tan, and we are the Plotaholics. But yes, tonight. Sure. We have a very special guest with us, and we are honored uh, to be in the presence of greatness. I'm going to go ahead and bring in Mr. Joe, Joe Compton. Hey, hey. Thank you. I, I thought it was Joe solid. Compton. I've been writing it all day. Oh, uh, that's awesome. Uh, Thank you, sir. I was, right. I was finishing it up. That's why we were a few minutes late. Um, yep. Joe Compton so, did his I, uh, own special intro and everything. <laughs> That's right. With the, with, um, with the hat that just personifies coolness. Right, so let's let's get to the main event because, like I said, to there's the a lot of ground to cover, and oh. we uh, just don't have a lot of time. Uh, I mean, we have a, we have plenty of time, but, but there's so we much don't to have, talk about. There's so yeah, much. we just don't have enough time to to do what we would typically do. So there's I've been like I've been racking my brain essentially since we decided to do this about what the best possible way to go about it might be. And here's what I've decided. Um, I think that our first pass at the MCU should be uh, by phase or uh, by act. And it sort of depends on how you want to go about that. Because I know that phase one and two includes essentially everything up to Civil War, um, like Marvel phase one, phase two. But I would almost argue that... um, Marvel Act 1, if we're going to do a three-act structure, Marvel Act 1 is up to the Avengers. Act 2 would be up to Civil War, and then Act 3 would bring us to Endgame. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, can, I, can, I can get down with that. That, that, that makes a lot of sense. So, um, I will um, ask you guys, um, where, uh, in, the, in the first act of the Marvel Cinematic Universe... Where do you think they really uh, get their footing for good? I think they do great hitting the ground running with the with Iron Man, to be honest, because like we were talking about before we uh, went on air, 
I never liked Iron Man as a character, as a kid. I wasn't an Avengers fan as a kid. I was an X-Men fan. But I liked um, Captain America, and I loved the Hulk. But I didn't like Iron Man. So where they really hit the ground running with success is the day they decided to hire Robert Downey Jr. to be Tony Stark was what really was like, okay, this is going to make it. I think, they made the, I think that casting choice was a good one. I do not believe, though, they've found their footing just yet. I really feel like what we know as the Marvel Cinematic Universe at this moment, as what we're trying to enjoy, is not from Phase 1. Phase 1 sets up a lot of things. It helps us get to Phase 2 and Phase 3 and, and further us. But... I think the movies themselves don't hit their stride in phase one. I think they're, they're still searching for that balance and trying to find what works and doesn't work. Avengers, Avengers is, if you look back at the first Avengers, it's kind of a mess, you know, and, and it has, it has its moments and it has really, it has, it features all the characters, but it really doesn't bring us to where we are now. It kind of just sets the stage, which is, I believe what all of the, uh, all the origin stories do. They set the stage. And so, which is needed. It's important. And it's great to see all these characters have a voice. You know, I really believe like Chris Evans is, you know, the right voice for Cap- for Steve Rogers. I believe that the right voice for Iron Man and Tony Stark is Robert Downey Jr. Um, you know, we didn't get a Mark Ruffalo. We just got indoctrinated with Mark Ruffalo because the Hulk was such a, was was such a dumpster fire for, for that one. Uh, but, uh, you know, I think, I think those all come into play, but it doesn't really hit its stride or find its footing just yet. I kind of uh, disagree on the incredible. I enjoyed the incredible Hulk. I the really Edward Norton I, incredible Hulk. Um, yeah. I mean, I feel like at the time, Edward Norton was a decent choice. Now I understand that he's difficult to deal with. And Mark Ruffalo is a far superior banner. I don't think that Norton would have the same chemistry as Ruffalo has with the cast. Now. Well, uh, I mean, what I meant, what I meant is, it didn't say we didn't get Mark Ruffalo. We didn't get a Mark Ruffalo origin story. What I want to ask now is, where do you think in the first phase or two, where was the most likely, where was the closest moment uh, to them coming off the rails, uh, or uh, or losing or or losing their focus or or losing everything that they had built up to that point? Thor, Dark World, Thor, Dark World, um, because and I think part that's of the after, is that, that's after where we're at right now. Yeah, Thor, Dark World came just after. Because after Avengers, it's Iron Man 3. And then after Iron Man 3 is... Winter Soldier. Is Winter Soldier. And then it's Thor Dark World. And I think... that This is when they started getting too ambitious. Because now you get Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which I, I, do, I did like the show. I haven't watched it in a couple of years. But I enjoyed it at the time. But the problem was, I think they put so much... They tried to do so much with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. that Thor Dark World suffered. And that, that I think that's where Thor Dark World had its problem. It's an important staple in the series. It's very important. But it's it's to me, that's the weakest of the movies. What do you think, The because it, almost every uh, yes, ranking of Marvel Cinematic Universe uh, <laughs> 
movies, right? Almost every ranking online you can find by people that I trust, you know, critics and whatnot. Mm-hmm. They put uh, The Dark World in last place uh, it's, as the worst uh, MCU movie. Is this uh, is that a storytelling problem? Is that a script problem? Is it an energy problem? Like, what is it about that movie that people seem to so universally agree is bad? Well, Jeff, I think it doesn't. I don't think it builds off of the momentum that was. I think it stalls the momentum of what was starting to really start to pick up. I think that it really starts to. It kind of. It's. It's almost like. To use Brian's analogy to continue his analogy, when you're running, we're now in car, we're now in cross country and we've hit a mud patch and we're now we're running through the mud and we've kind of now we have to get our our knees higher and kick a little bit harder to get through that mud patch to get back on the road that we're on and I think that's what dark, dark world really is it's it's that muddy feet patch that you couldn't it, it was hard to get through uh, when we start to get into some of our weird sort of obscure properties that marvel now has the balls to say hey check this out you don't think we can make anything watch us make a billion dollars out of a tree and a talking raccoon and i bet you like there's so many people that took that a bet, tree, and they were a like, no that can only say one phrase <laughs> and everybody yeah, they're like no way this one's gonna work they're like no way no, they're like Saturday Night Live, Saturday Night Live, or Saturday Night Fever, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, but you know, and so let's talk about Guardians for a minute because uh, if, if we talk about aesthetic choices, and I think that aesthetic choices are really important to a feel. The feel of a movie is a lot of what we were just talking about with uh, the Dark World. The aesthetic of Guardians of the Galaxy, I think, is pretty unique to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And that aesthetic is both involved with the way that it's shot and with the way that it sounds. Um, and I wonder if you guys Yeah, I wonder if you guys could talk a little bit about the the aesthetics of these different movies, because what's striking to me when we get to uh to Infinity War is that all of these characters are going to have to meet together and their aesthetics are going to have to coexist in the same place. Um, Yeah, right. When you're in your standalone movies, you can do whatever you want to do, but when you all get together, how does it work? And so I wonder if you guys could talk a little bit about that, the, the aesthetic from, uh, from property to property and then how those things mesh once you get to the end. Well, you know, touching up on guardians of galaxy, because that's where we're at now for one, I didn't even know who the hell the Guardians of the Galaxy were. But when they revealed Thanos in the end credits scene, it's like, okay, it makes sense now. And once again... He was part of the movie, too. He, was, he wasn't just in the credit scene. Yeah, well, I mean, but you, you don't see Thanos. You, he doesn't show his face in Avengers until that end credit scene. But um, Guardians of the Galaxy just continued on with that perfect casting by Marvel. No one else can be Peter Quill. I mean, God help me, no one else can be Drax the Drax the Destroyer. Oh my God, Dave Batista. I thought he was just a wooden wrestler because I wasn't that big of a fan of his in WWF. So I was going to save this conversation for later, but it's it feels like a good moment uh, to to get into it. 
Marvel's been accused, uh, in spite of having wildly successful films, Marvel's been accused of having a villain problem, uh, at least through the first couple of phases of, of this project. Um, I think I agree with that. Uh, who? So who are your favorite villains in the Marvel Cinematic Universe? Gotcha. Well, I, I, obviously Thanos has got to be high up on that list. Uh, you know, uh, Ronan's a really good one. Um, gosh, after that, I mean, uh, the the thing about the villains in, in a lot of these films now is that we start to get anti-hero and they start to turn into good guys at the end, you know, and so, or they have a, they have a turning moment, you know, even Loki yeah, had a moment. You know, so so the villain, the villain villains aren't really existing like like you would think a villain would be. You know, uh, I think Thanos is really the only one that has this idealistic villainy. You know, and and even his villainy is kind of masked by his thought that he's right. You know, he's like he's like a true villain in that he believes that he's the hero in the story. Right. I would, I would definitely have to throw Thanos in there as well. I think that, once again, he believes that everything he's doing is right. But I have to give some love to Eric Killmonger. Mm. This amazing villain. Now, here's the thing. Man, when I went to go see Black Panther, that wasn't just going to see a movie for me. That was, that was a we-have-arrived moment. And when I say that, what I mean by that is this. All right, Don Cheadle amazing is Rhodey. He's another one that we got indoctrinated to, and I think that he's way better than what we had originally, because Terrence Howard, God bless him, he doesn't have the acting chops of Don Cheadle. He would not be able to bring that much heart and soul and character to Rhodey. With that being said, and I'm not, I'm not bringing Sam Wilson into this in the moment, but I will, but just Black Panther for me showed that it was really great to be able to see, hey, guess what? One of the most important figures in Marvel can carry a film. And it's like, you know what? Finally, that old Hollywood motif, that old Hollywood unwritten rule that a black lead can't carry a major film. I was so happy when Black Panther came out because it obliterated that. And Eric Killmonger is part of the reason because he has that, I don't even want to say radicalized, but that angry mindset. And at certain points, you're like, yeah. yeah." He's the anti-hero in the movie because he really has, he has an agenda that is not so much villainous that it's more, it's more of his, it's more of his personal villainy. It's not, it's not. It's not villainous for the entire universe, right? He, I mean, he wants to. He has he has a moment where he wants to wipe out everybody, but mm-hmm. he, but he's really doing that because of the selfish nature within him of of, of the idea that where he grew up and everything, he never had anything. So I think I think he's an antihero in that respect. Well, yes and no, and this is why. And I don't. I'm when I say what I'm going to say, please don't take offense to it. But the way you're seeing it is it, I'm not saying you're wrong, but there's way more to it than that. See, when I was a kid, one of the, one of the first things I, I started hearing when I was in high school, why don't you go back to Africa? Yeah. And what when a lot of people say that, 
it hurts on two folds. Number one, it's like, look, I was born here. I shouldn't have to go anywhere. But number two, Africa's a continent made up of multiple countries, lots of tribes. I don't know where my ancestors came from. Mm -hmm. And even if I did, I would not be welcome because I am not African. I am an American. So it almost is like I fit in nowhere. And Eric Killmonger, that's why he spoke to me personally. I'm not going to speak for anyone else. But it's like, you know what? I spent all this time. I didn't know where I came from. All I knew is that I was here and I didn't feel like I ever belonged. And when even when he goes back to Wakanda, he is so ignorant of the ways of Wakanda. And it's like he doesn't fit in. Yeah. And I think that he realized that when the battle started, he realized that he was still just an outsider. So at the same token, yeah, it does kind of make him a – he treads into anti-hero. Yeah. However, it is still in the you're going to see things my way or I am going to kill you to get you out of my way. And yeah. in my mind, you're still a villain with that. I think so, what made Black Panther work for me, and and clearly, like, for obvious reasons, we all had very different experiences with that film. And it is a very important film uh, for the African American community for a, a plethora of reasons that you've that you've touched on, Brian. But what, from a storytelling perspective, what makes the conflict of that movie work for me, and what makes that movie, I think, a little different, and in some ways better than a lot of other Marvel movies is that the central conflict is a conflict of philosophy. It is not a conflict of like brute force versus brute force. Both of these guys have the right idea. It's the same thing as Thanos, right? Like you Killmonger is coming from from a from an honest and genuine place where he feels cheated uh and and wronged by society and by the oppressors. And he's understood that if he can get his hands on this Wakandan tech, then he can just go fuck everybody up that's ever done him wrong, right? But not only that, but give that technology to the other people who've been oppressed. Like, that's a, that's in some ways a noble cause, right? And so, yeah, he does tread into that. And so I think that what makes T'Challa such a compelling character is that he is willing to listen to Killmonger and and understand. And he experiences an evolution of philosophy because he listens to other perspectives. That's why Wakanda opens its borders. Right, yeah. The moral center of Black Panther is this idea that, uh, that it's just possible that neither of us are right and that the answer is somewhere in the middle. Yes. And that is such a Absolutely. beautiful thesis, and that's for me what made that movie so powerful. And it's it's super. That Wakanda is a super important for anybody who's followed the Infinity War it, it beyond before the Marvel movies came out. Wakanda is such a centralized, important part of this entire story. It is right. super important, and so it was so awesome that they brought Black Panther to life because. It, it, it Wakanda means a lot in this story, and people don't understand, if people don't understand that, go back and watch the you know watch Infinity War because there's a, there's there's certain things about Wakanda that mean so much 
even to Thanos. I mean, there's right. there's a certain thing about it that Thanos has has an affinity for. So right. it's or pick up a comic book and see how important Wakanda is to the Marvel universe. Period. Right, and it, and it's it, it, and it's so much it's so much more important to our society, obviously. Uh, right. But and for for a person like Brian, you know, it, it's it's very it's very you know it's very important for him personally as well, right? So. I think that Black Panther represents something that that changes the Marvel universe forever, and I think that's what it's where we're talking about turning points and twisting points. Black Panther for me is that that elbow that turns everything a different direction. I do want to give a shout out as far as villains go to Amol Brodsky, aka the Abomination. He was a good villain. Mm-hmm. I'm very upset that we haven't seen more of him because he is a good villain. You want to talk about um, the Red Skull being like the dark side of Captain America? What about Amo Brodsky? Yeah, he the dark side of Captain America. Yeah, and I think uh, I think we're going to get a taste of that in the next movie. Oh, I hope so. <laughs> I, oh, I don't know. I have been ignoring everything Marvel. <laughs> everything. I want to know nothing else. I am going in completely blind. It's kind so. of it's kind of hard for me to. I, will, I wanted to do that so badly, but there's a couple yeah, that I had to but, know. Uh, but I'm staying out. I'm I, uh, staying out well, since we went back to the villain talk, I want to give a shout out to my boy, Michael Keaton, uh, who yes. was a killer vulture. It's Ferg's uh, own. Yeah, and I, and I think that like what made that movie, oh man, you know, like again, you had to have Andrew Garfield because you needed somebody to lower the bar for you, right? Before you got another <laughs> good Spider-Man. And, and this Spider-Man, like the, the like it's it's just it's it's tone I and mean, it we're back on aesthetic again. The aesthetic of this new Spider-Man is right. Yeah. And that and that villain, like they understand that this is your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. Like he's protecting Queens. And yes. his villain is is the right size for that. And what's what's really interesting about that and how it plays out in Infinity War is is how Spider-Man finds himself in this larger than Queen situation and and how he you know I think that in order to really appreciate how he reacts in Infinity War you have to have that small scale yes sort of conflict yes. and see him you know struggle through those sort of very typical Spider-Man storylines well he he said it best how can I be a friendly neighborhood Spider-Man if there's no neighborhood I was yeah, so, right. I was so profound yeah. and um yeah Tom Holland well see here's my thing if we're going to if we're talking about Spider-Man Tobey Maguire was a good Peter Parker, but a terrible Spider-Man. Andrew Garfield had the asshole nature of Spider-Man, but he dialed it up too far, and he was not a good Peter Parker. Tom he also Holland, got saddled with some terrible scripts. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. But Tom Holland is the man. He is a great Peter Parker. He is an amazing Spider-Man. <laughs> amazing Spider-Man. See what I did there? There you go. And... Um, uh, and um, yeah, um, Michael Keaton is such so great as the Vulture, and he was the perfect choice, I think, because we didn't need another Green Goblin. We right. really did not. And Vulture is one of those characters that is very, very important to the Spider-Man mythos because he is another part of Spider-Man growing as a character in the yeah. comics back in the '60s and '70s. So. And Jason is right. You know, Tom Holland actually looks the part. Tobey Maguire never looked like a high school student. Neither did Andrew Garfield. 
he plays the part well in Civil War too. You know the whole the whole uh, oh I'm overwhelmed. Oh you're 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 Captain America. Holy right. God, so great! You've got a medal on. That's awesome, dude. Well, and that carries over also into Infinity War in a really charming way when he meets like Doctor Strange. You know, yeah. he's like, hey, I'm Peter awesome. Parker, and he's like, I'm Doctor Strange. Oh, so we're using our made up names. Yeah. <laughs> that was so great. Yeah. So hey, um, remember that really old movie, Aliens? <laughs> you know what, kid? That's enough, Eddie. Yeah. So I, uh, so where we, where I want to end is the most logical place, and that is with Infinity War. Um, and I, you know, I think we should probably pay a little bit of attention to uh, Captain Marvel, uh, who is, and I know I mentioned her, but who is like a, the newest addition to the to the gang. Um, I thought that I thought in terms of an origin film, her movie was pretty good and interesting. Uh, have both of you seen it? No. Yes. I've seen it for an origin film. You could honestly, the hand of the writer shows through it a little bit because it, it is very clear that they're trying to make it not feel like an origin film. Uh, and that is a little uh, on the nose sometimes, but I think that the beats of that movie are fun enough, but she's one that concerns me when we talk about like being too powerful uh, down yes. the stretch. Yes. What are they going to do to, to neutralize some of that? Cause they're going to have to, or she's not going to be interesting. Well, I'm not. A uh, big of course, fan if she's saying that she's stronger than Thor, I'm not a big fan of that because yeah, you know, if if because he's a god, right? If her stand, well, what's interesting about her is that um, I don't know that I think that there are probably going to be some some situations where they have to use her as an energy source instead of as a fighter mm-hmm. uh, because that's what she is, right? She's energy, right. and so uh, they're going to have to use her energy uh, to perpetuate a, a fight. And that could be a way that they lower her power a little bit. But if her standalone films are her zooming around the galaxy, fighting a bunch of shit that I've never heard of before, uh, that's maybe more powerful than her, then I'm fine with that. Like, it just needs to be at least equal because it has to be interesting, right? And if you know that, if you, and of course, we all know that the heroes are always going to win, right? That's yeah. kind of the thing, right? Well, except when uh, a big purple guy snaps his fingers. Right. Well, but, you know, even that movie had it to be continued in it. So, Touché. like... Not everybody. Yeah, well, you know, a lot of people, you know, evaporated or whatever. Um, But we know that a lot of them are probably back. Well, probably more than I'm going to be happy with, honestly. Well, we know Spider Man Uh, and Nick Fury are going to be back because I'm Far From Home is coming out in three months. Yeah. Um, Do we know, actually, by the way, uh, since you brought that up, do we know where on the timeline that movie happens? Marvel Home was after Infinity War, or after, or excuse me, after after Endgame. So okay, so we do know that after okay. Endgame and the continuity. Yes, it is. Okay, well then, yeah. So I mean, but and also just because you know contract negotiations aren't secret, like we know we got another Black Panther movie, we know we've got another Spider Man movie, so like we know some of these people are coming back. Um, the I think the big three, Thor, Captain America, and Iron Man, those are the ones that they're playing close to the vest a little bit. Yeah, uh, in terms I, of what's going to happen so. with those. Yeah. Um, and I think that I think if we lose one of them, and maybe we should start a betting pool, uh, is uh, like who, which of the three goes? Because my money's on Cap. So, yeah, I'm thinking it's it's either going to be Cap or um, Iron Man. Yeah, because I think I think with Captain America in the in the confluence of the comic books as well, Steve Rogers hands the reins over to Bucky. Right, so well, first, yeah, yeah. He, yeah, he hands it over. So to I, think, I think I think that could easily be the transition, right? That that happens in this in yeah. this, 
this instance. I think what's going to happen is that he's going to sa- – I think Cap's going to sacrifice himself to bring back those that pass because – and his and his ending is going to be he gets to spend time with – he gets to be with Peggy in, in the afterlife. I think that's what's going to happen. I think Tony's going to retire, and that kid Harley from Iron Man 3 might take over as Iron Man. I was thinking, actually, that, that Iron Man – that. Um... Tony Stark might retire and stay on as like uh, in a Nick Fury type uh, advisory role. I can see that. I, can I, like see that. that I like that theory a lot. I, I really am, am embracing, especially that. with uh, especially with his uh, mentor role in the Spider-Man films, and that is right. such a good dynamic between those two. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't imagine that he leaves for good for good. No, because he loves Peter. Pete, yeah. did you see how how torn up he was when Peter went. Because he even said, if something happens to you, that's on me. Yeah. He loves yeah. That's the I feel like, he never had. Yeah. And Joe, you mentioned something in Endgame hitting us that we wouldn't that we wouldn't be expecting. Yeah. And uh and that moment in Infinity War is the Spider Man moment. Oh uh, I broke and in tears. I cried. Yeah, that is and and you know, you gotta for anybody that's been on this ride, that is that's what good writing is about. Because that that moment could have absolutely fallen flat and not played, but because Holland's character was written so well, and we've had such a long run with Tony Stark, and because of their relationship, just very briefly in one movie, they've established well, two movies, I guess, they've established this relationship that it hurts, like losing a real person, you know, when that happens. And and so I think that the payoff of this first of these first four phases, which we could call essentially yeah. like well, season the, one of they're, well they're called the <laughs> season one saga. of the, the Infinity Saga. Right. Yeah. And, and 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 I would start that from Iron Man one all the way through to uh right now, right? Mm-hmm. To Endgame. Like that's because that's what the Russo brothers have said. They're saying that they, that it's all led to this, right? And so if that's the case this first season of the Marvel Cinematic Universe has been the story of Tony Stark and his dealing with grief and PTSD and depression and his rift with uh, Captain America, uh, with with Rogers over uh, the events of Civil War and what that friendship meant and what it will mean at the end. Now, that's a compelling storyline and I guess my question is once that is, if, if it's brought to a close, which I think we believe that it will be, then is there a compelling storyline moving forward? There are compelling characters and, you know, they've given us Black Panther and they, and we clearly we've got Spider-Man and all this stuff, but is there an over, is there a story arc that has already started to develop that can propel them into the next stage? Well, that's a big question. (laughs) Spider-Man's will, because Spider-Man is an art that, because um, now you have to take this high school kid from his, into his junior year, to his senior year, going into college. So that's going to be one. Um, I think. Well, it, here's I, my, here's my follow up to that. And okay. Spider-Man and Spider-Man and Black Panther, I think, keep us grounded. But a lot of these franchises that are here to take the torch are moving us off of Earth, right? Guardians of the Galaxy. Captain Marvel, like these are franchises that are going to be out there, and I wonder if the if the franchises or if the center, if the Marvel Cinematic Universe suffers for not having as many human stories to tell. No, because honestly, the X Men can bridge that gap. The X Men bridge the gap between Earth and cosmic. 
as do the Fantastic Four. Mm-hmm. I think we're going to start finding out a lot more about Fantastic Four and the X-Men in late 2019 into 2020. We'll start hearing about the movies coming out in 2021, maybe as late as 2022. Here's my question, Brian. Do they do they restart? Do you think they restart X-Men from the beginning? You have to. You have to. You- uh, I wanted to, to devote just a few moments here in our closing breaths to the mastermind behind this whole thing. Like as many directors and screenwriters as there's been like Kevin Feige's vision for this experiment, I think can't be understated. Like he's really connected the dots in a way that, I mean, I don't know that we'll ever see this kind of success in storytelling on the screen again. I don't think so. Kevin Feige, Kevin Feige. God, you want to talk about a mad scientist, man. He, he just, like, I mean, I'm, can you imagine the looks on people's faces when Kevin Feige was like, here's my vision. And right. he figures it out. And they're like, do you think he had it from the beginning, though? Do you think um, Do you think he had it from the beginning? I think he kind of stumbled in it and, and, and figured it out halfway. He, yeah, he had an idea. And then it took some stumbling to get it to where he wants it to be. Right. Well, that's what we said, right? Like, once you get the first Avenger, that's when you're like, oh, wait a minute. Like, maybe there's a bigger picture here because, like, why would you subtitle that film, Mm -hmm. the first Avenger, if there aren't going to be second, third, fourth, fifth, seventeen? And I and I seriously think that honestly, for every property that Disney purchases, they need to be like someone needs to just show up like, hey, Mr. Feige, if you wouldn't mind just dropping your pants and bending over so I can give you a little kiss on your cheek there because they owe him that. Well, I think I think right. Right. I think he's continuing on the phase, the next phase. So I think whatever he establishes going forward, you have to put your trust in that. Right. So I think that, that is going, that's that's the only comfort that I take for what's going to happen after Endgame. Right. Uh, so moving forward. It cannot be denied that the Marvel Cinematic Universe not only has a has a clear plan. We may not know what it is, but they know what it is. And Kevin, Kevin Feige knows what it is, and right? And Kevin, we trust. Uh, we've also been told that this is the end of of something, but it's also a transition into something else. We've been told that Captain Marvel is going to sort of lead the next wave of uh, the Avengers. Uh, but here's my question. Mm-hmm. With all of the momentum that they have, if Kevin Feige were to step away and the wheels came off of this thing, how long can that momentum propel them? Like how many bad movies, how many missteps will it take for uh, them to lose the goodwill that they've spent 22 movies building up? I think it really depends on Endgame and how Endgame's received. If Endgame's received with with the kind of fanfare that we all think it might be, I think they could carry two or three movies because we know Far From Home was a Kevin was Kevin touched by Kevin Feige, so we know that for a fact. So that movie is going to be okay. But then after that, I think you can get into two or three movies, and then it will slowly diminish after that. And it may it may be even one depending on how crappy that one movie is too. Right? Yeah, and you're and you start looking at like. it's starting to show like troubling signs, right? Like with uh, the, the James Gunn stuff and like, how will that affect the the third guardians film? And I know he's back, but 
you know, but there there was a tension there. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, Disney, I, I, honestly, I, I and this think is, it's, that was as bad as we think it is. I think that once they fired Gunn, they changed yeah. their mind within like a week or so. But they needed to agree with that now. I agree with that now. They told. I agree with that. That's why right after it happened. You had all that anger and that uproar, and Dave yeah. Bautista's going rogue and running his mouth, and then he got quiet. They had yeah. already fixed the problem. They I agree with that. I would say though that Disney needs to stop pulling that trigger so fast because yeah, agreed. I mean, like especially on the Star Wars side of things, like they've really messed up with with replacing directors and or maybe just hiring the wrong people. Clearly, on the Marvel side of things, they have it figured out. Mm-hmm. Um, and and whatever yeah, that model Kevin is, Feige, I think that's Kevin Feige. He's running interference on all that. So right. Yeah. Well, to, to answer your question, and I'll take it one step further from what Joe said. It depends on how well DC's universe goes. Mm. Comic mm. fans are fickle, man, and movie fans. We are a fickle breed. If you yeah. let us down, we turn on you. If the DC universe can start to find their footing, and Marvel slips. You see a balance. You see a, a power shift. Yeah. Now, yeah. Now we're, and then well, here's, this time in four years, we're talking about DC ruling the world and Marvel yeah. trying to catch up. If Feige steps away, love it. All right. Well, you know what? I think that's going to finally do it for us in this very special rollick through the Marvel cinematic universe for the plotaholics. I'm Shane Wilson. And Brian Tan. that's Brian Tan, and that's Joe Compton, and we'll see you again real soon. Take a trip with us to New Bar. Just promise not to drink the goo. Oh my God. If you get sucked into the Matrix, Matrix. we will send the phone for you. Do you believe in fate? Sometimes the end game is the perfect place to start. We're in the end game now. And other times you want to pretend the prequels were never a real thing. Let's just pod race to the end. It's working! Every movie has a plot hole, and every hole gets filled somehow. Just don't cut me off right now We're the Plotaholics A breakfast club or two We are the Plotaholics Ripping plots apart for you Shane and Brian are an island To be a Robocop. Thank you for your cooperation. Sailing for Black Circle Boys. And just like Dr. Hammond, extracting amber from wood. And later there's running and then screaming. A little too busy asking if we could. And never asking if we should. But every movie has a plot hole. Right now, we're the 
that's the part for you. Yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man.